Welcome to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast, a journey of self-discovery and transformation. Moira Sutton and her amazing guests share real-life stories, tools, and strategies to inspire and empower you to create and live your best life. Come along on the journey and finally blast through any fears, obstacles, and challenges that have held you back in the past so you can live your life with the joy, passion, and happiness that you desire. Now, here's your host, Create the Life You Love Empowerment Life Coach, Moira Sutton. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 38, Conscious Living and Spiritual Realism, with our very special guest, illustrator, storyteller, and painter, Jacqueline Clare. Jacqueline empowers audiences to develop a deeper connection to their spiritual reality and conscious living through her integrated work and art. Her painting style is a genre all her own, called Spiritual Realism. This is dreamlike images that invite the viewer to tap into their heart, soul, and their innate wisdom. She is also the creator and author of her book, Noble Beings, Spiritual Handbook for Children of All Ages. Jacqueline currently resides in a little German river town between Austin and San Antonio, Texas. So if further ado, I would like to introduce you to Jacqueline Clara. See, I'm all kind of mouth-tied. I must be excited, Jacqueline. Welcome, Jacqueline. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I'm excited to be here, too. Yes, as we were just saying, Jacqueline's being quite the guest to really, we've been working with different schedules for a while. So I'm, that's why I'm excited. I'm excited to have her in front of you and for you to learn about her beautiful work and her Baha'i faith and just so much. So we're going to dive in. We're going to have fun and, and just, there we go. So Jacqueline, I'd like to start off with your journey to this embracing the Baha'i faith. And what, what are the teachings of this faith for people that don't know? Yeah, what a beautiful question. And I love being able to, you know, give people the little nutshell, just, you know, even just to, for the extent of people meet a Baha'i down the road, or they, you know, hear the word, they're like, kind of know what that is, you know, yes. so it's such an honor. Yeah. So the Baha'i faith is an independent world religion. So it's not a branch or a sect of any other existing faith. And at the same time, it is very harmonious with, you know, the major known world religions of the world and that Baha'is believe there is this loving creator that we, you know, call God and, and other names in other cultures, but it is this loving source that made us that we can never, you know, fully, you know, fathom because it's it made us it's just like if you you know draw a picture how much can that picture understand you you know what I mean like the difference is vast but this source wants to have a relationship with us and therefore has brought throughout human history these divinely inspired people Baha'is often call them manifestations, like a mirror manifests something. So these manifestations who brought the world's great religions, like the great spiritual teachers or prophets with a capital P who have educated humanity throughout time about 
you know, God, our source and how to live and how to treat each other and how to build civilization and family and morality and all of that beautiful stuff that really like, you know, helps the world go around in the, the smoothest possible way. And the Baha'i faith is the youngest of these, you know, major world global religions. It started in the mid 1800s and prophet founder of the Baha'i faith is Baha'u'llah, and that's a title. It's an Arabic word that means glory of God, Baha'u'llah. And Baha'u'llah said these radical things in the mid-1800s, like men and women are equal in the sight of God, and that the more we understand both science and religion or spirituality, the more we will see that they are actually in harmony and not in conflict and that all of humanity is one. And that, you know, this is the time now that we have evolved to like realize that we're on this globe together. Mm -hmm. We're not isolated in our little villages anymore, that this is the time to live as if we are one and one family. So that's really the Baha'i faith in the nutshell. And I was blessed to grow up in this faith and with exposure to this faith. And, you know, one of the great things I think about being raised with exposure to the Baha'i faith is that it does teach this respect and curiosity for all the world's religions and all the world's cultures, you know? So that was very much a part of my upbringing. And I owe it to my grandmother who was this like progressive Southern belle. She grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, born in 1925. And, you know, we, we have the lingering issues of, you know, racism and prejudice today, mm -hmm. but, but they were deeply seated and blatant and totally accepted in the culture that she grew up in. And yet, you know, she was a little Methodist girl and they sang songs in church about Jesus loving all the children of the world. And she, she believed that version, you know, she thought that version was true. And so that was actually one of the major teachings in the Baha'i faith that attracted her. Like when she learned about the Baha'i faith in 1964 in San Antonio, so she was, you know, married and had children by then, um, she pretty much instantly recognized it as her path. And, um, and then, you know, slowly other people in the family became Baha'i and my mom was a Baha'i by the time she had me. So it's always been what I was exposed to. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I truly also believe in this. Well, let's, let's just dive into that. Like we know, like you said, there's things happening around the world with the Taliban takeover of the Afghanistan and, you know, Haiti, the earthquake and COVID. There's so much happening in the world that mm -hmm. people can either buy into that fear. But what would the Baha'i faith or yourself say to those things happening in the world? Do you think that things are breaking down? So there'll be a rebirth. So there'll be this unity consciousness to help each other, mm -hmm. you know, and not hoard things. Like if, if you have something to give, give, you, you know, you know, Jacqueline, that we are moving um, very shortly down Nova Scotia and there's so much that we don't need. And, you know, we've sold things, we've given things away and just to see the and free stuff and you name it, because just to see the, the joy on someone else's face that they, you know, they could enjoy something that 
you know, it's not just sitting there in a box, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know, give art away, We're giving art away also. And, and it's going to raise funds for the children's hospital here and just all yeah. those things. But yeah. So what, what would be your, what would be your sort of wisdom gem there with what you see as we all are seeing what's happening in the world with the Baha'i faith? What, what would you say to people? Yeah, well, I agree with what you said. And, you know, I speak from my own perspective, but Mm -hmm. uh, as a person who is a Baha'i and, you know, inspired by the Baha'i teaching. So I'll just do my best. It's not the official like Baha'i response. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So I would, like I said, I agree with what you said, all of it um, in terms of you know, sometimes there is a whole lot of shaking that has to go on to, to lead to a rebirth, right? We have to sort of have problems come to the surface, or we have to have the, the old ways of, of living and thinking and doing things crumble before we can build something that's better. You know what I mean? And that Mm -hmm. speaks to every level of society, every institution and every probably thought in our own minds, right? We have to sort of, you know, be aware and humble enough to realize that we need to do things differently. So I am extremely hopeful um, about, about the long-term of all of these crises that we're living through, of course, without bypassing the reality, like, you know, I think it's very healthy to acknowledge that individually and collectively we're going through some real challenges, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, But I do think the future is extremely bright. And I think what you sort of tied in with your personal experience, like your choice to, be have less material things and that sort of thing. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that is the key one detachment from our material needs and wants material reality matters, but materialism is, is a source of great problem, both personally and collectively. And then also to Become conscious, awake, evolved enough that you choose to think of others or choose, you know, to to be generous or choose to think of the environment as opposed to it being something that's that's forced or coerced or you feel, you know, social pressure, whatever. Like it's so much more beautiful when it springs from your heart that you choose to to do this noble thing or this generous thing. So I think that's really, um, that's really the exciting possibility of the future, the near future, as we become more and more awake each day, that more and more of us will choose to think of our brothers and sisters and choose to live more grounded lives rather than consumer lives. Yes, and and I know when I watched the news and I saw those the Afghanistan people on the plane trying to leave, I just my heart just broke. I just you know I looked at the image and I don't watch the news a lot, and I was like just so heartbroken. And just if we both, if each one of us, like you said, individually, collectively, we we become the light who we are, the love, the source we are, and we just 
you know, that one person, the next person, that snowball effect that we can make change, we can step into that new way of being that new paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like you to tell us how it's first of all, define spiritual realism, and you're talking about awakening. Mm-hmm. And my whole, my whole academy is the soul awakening academy <laughs> that mm-hmm. I created many years ago. Um, how, how does someone shift their perception to to help someone awaken to that deeper joy, courage, and connection to their own spiritual reality? What would you say to that? Oh, that's such <laughs> a good question. Such I a have good a question. lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there's lots of ways that I could answer this. I'm going to start with just a very, very simple down-to-earth practice. Mm-hmm. And that is tuning in to your heart center. You know, we're so busy in our minds and moving forward in life and taking care of what needs to be done. And very rarely, if ever in our lives, do we just like stop and tune in to physically our own heart, you know, and it's, it could be a few minutes, it could be a few seconds, but where you just bring attention to that area of your body, like what does it actually feel like? And then, you know, the next layer is to sort of correspond with it, right? Like kind of like how does, not only how does it feel physically, but like emotionally. And if, if it had something to say, what would it say, you know? And I find that um, it's just a great way to step into the body and to step into where you really are, that true essence, that, that ray of that divine light that you are and your, you know, mix of emotions and all the stuff um, as opposed to just being externally driven all the time. And I also think that honesty, truthfulness and honesty are so incredibly important in, in the world and in our personal lives. And I think we have to have that sense of grounding that like connection with our own being and our own heart to be honest. Sometimes we don't even know what we truly think or how we truly feel. And it's hard to be honest when, when you're that disassociated. So that's sort of the, the, the practice that I think people can kind of, you know, wrap their hands around, so to speak. And then in a broader sense, you know, there's lots of different avenues that may help people remember that their life is a spiritual journey. And it might be, you know, reading sacred writings, it might be being in nature, it might be looking at art, that sort of abiding presence in their home that like is, is ever evolving, but always the same, you know? Um, But to remember that we are on a spiritual journey, each of us alone, all by ourselves, you know, we, we, we enter alone and we exit Mm -hmm. alone, but we're also together. So we're all have these like intersecting paths And ultimately the purpose of this, I believe, is the development of our souls and our characters um, 
And I think for me, when I can remember that in like a visceral way, like not just intellectual sort of Sunday morning thought, but like deeply, oh yeah, ultimately this life is like a gym where I'm building my spiritual muscles. It really puts things in perspective. Yes, that's beautiful. So the with your art, let's say, uh-huh. when re- remembering who we are, how does your, again, your spiritual realism, and you have these dream-like images that you create that are just beautiful. How do, how does, how does that invite the viewer to tap into their own inner innate wisdom? Absolutely. So spiritual realism is also my genre, as you mentioned in the introduction. And what that means is that all of my paintings mingle these two aspects, this spiritual, ethereal, celestial, ineffable element, you know, and often that's represented in my work by sort of abstracted qualities that are quite trademark and recognizable. And then there's also very material things, very stable, recognizable things like moons and trees and people and animals. So for me, each art image is like a visual representation of our reality, which is that we're these material beings living on this planet, and that also we're spiritual beings and we're surrounded by spiritual forces in our life all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, it's kind of that part that really matters, the spiritual uh, weights that we lift in this material gym, so to speak. And so, so like from a art, you know, a gallery standpoint, that's what the artwork represents. And I think having those tangible reminders, like a visual reminder of the beauty and duality of our existence, and especially something that's handmade, right? That's made by your, you know, human sister or brother, like some, you know, awkward, fumbling human, just like you made this beautiful thing with their own hands and put their own soul and spirit into it. And then you, you know, look at it and it's this abiding presence, this reminder of your own life and your own spiritual nature and that you're material and you're spiritual and that whatever you're going through in your life right now, like whatever is unfinished or unclear or challenge or it's messy or it's not pretty, I feel like art, when someone has accomplished creating something that's truly beautiful, it's a reminder to like stay the course. Like, oh yeah, one day this messy situation that I'm in, if I, you know, keep showing up to do my best and be courageous and honest and loving is going to be part of this beautiful tapestry of my life, you know? Mm -hmm. I love the words that you use, and I love the idea, yes, duality and the, the beauty of well, Mother Earth and ourselves, and just mm-hmm. it's just really your voice as you're speaking is drawing me in. <laughs> <laughs> so, where do you get the your 
is it intuitive that you come up with ideas when you do your art or did you sit in front of your canvas and then you just start playing? How do your ideas for your images and your art form, how, how does that show up? And tell us a bit about the techniques that you use. Sure. Well, it's it's similar to the latter option where I really just start playing. I really mm. do. And I do utilize a lot of abstract expressionist techniques to get me going um, so that I don't have to sit there and try to be brilliant or something. I kind of take a step and I take another step and then it's, you know, then I might... Um, you know, do something like use masking tape and tape off a certain area or things that invite surprise ultimately. Oh, wonderful. And the abstract expressionist techniques, I actually have a course that I'm putting together and it's all accessible on my Patreon art classroom and it's called Spiritual Growth Through Abstract Expressionism. And I love abstract expressionism because there's no, there's no real rules, but you do get to sort of glimpse your own psychology by just what colors you're attracted to that day, you know, and then you take steps and you really do create surprises for yourself. And for me at that point, I, I usually get a sense of like what the artwork is sort of calling for. So I, I go far enough out on a limb that it kind of becomes its own energetic reality. You know, it's like it, it's its own thing that exists. It's no longer me trying to put my ideas on a canvas or feeling any sort of pressure. And then I sort of see what is it asking of me? And maybe it's, you know, it's saying, I want more of this and less of this kind of thing. And I just keep trying to respond to that. And, you know, at some point it's like, you know, I think this piece really needs a peacock. I really think that's what it's asking for, you know, <laughs> and that's sort of the dreamlike aspect of it that I, I feel like symbols and concepts emerge in the work and it it really is not me saying, gee, I really want to paint a peacock. It really is me feeling like this is what the piece needs. And that is so much how dreams are, right? We very few of us are like masters of lucid dreaming and we call forth images. Usually our subconscious just like delivers them. And then we think, huh, I dreamed about a peacock last night. Like, what does that mean to me? Mm -hmm. And I hope that the artwork does that for people. The one painting might speak to your soul in a different way from someone else's. And that's awesome. You're both right. The artwork is meant to be a mirror for both of your souls. Mm -hmm. And I think the choosing your art for your home and what you surround around yourself versus somebody that gifts you with it, because a lot of times they might see something in it, but it's not what you see in it. Mm -hmm. It's totally it's different. Very personal. Very personal. Now, you believe that everyone is an artist. And, you know, if people dive into this, as you're saying, they can express their own unique creativity. Where does somebody start that they might say to themselves, uh, I'm not I'm not an artist. And I think at one time you felt that, that you weren't a real artist. And what that meant to you back when you began the mm -hmm. journey? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, we do have some cultural ideas that, mm -hmm. you know, artists are just like, you know, compelled to create all the time, you know, like they just, 
you know, it's like an addiction and they just can't help it. And, you know, a lot of us, we have to, we actually have to commit. We have to, because so many people say, oh gosh, you know, I wish I had more time to do this or whatever. Mm. I always want to do that. And that's your artist spirit in you calling to you. And, and some of us were not like addicted. We have to decide I'm going to carve out a little time and I'm going to do this. So it's kind of like a miss. Uh, it's like a disservice that we, that artists are supposed to be like erratic and obsessive and addicted and all this stuff. Some of us are very tame people that just have to show up, you know, to, to go to a class or to do the work or whatever. And uh, several things. I'm a big believer that most people have an inkling in their heart of what they're attracted to creatively, whether it's singing or cooking or making flower arrangements from what they grow in their garden or writing, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so I don't think it's that complicated. I think most of us, maybe you look back at your childhood, like you have, you have a sense of what's calling to you right now anyway. And if you don't, then, you know, just what, what sounds fun and you can look into taking classes and that sort of thing, but it doesn't have to be dramatic. You know, again, it can be just giving yourself more time to cook because you really do like doing that and you want to try some new recipes, like whatever allows you to exercise your ability to be a creator, you know? And I also, yes. And I also think right now, I I like what you're saying about going back to your childhood and that, um, because when you said it, I was imagining we uh, owned, a, we called it a farm. It was really land that my house, my parents built a house on, but it was farmland <laughs> and we had cows on there and that. Um, and I used to love as a young girl, about 10, walking over this hundred acres that we had and down to the stream and stepping on the little stones and walking mm-hmm. up to the willow tree and sitting underneath just quiet. And I, I just, and it was very safe. No one locked doors and, and it was just a beautiful feeling. And I liked it better than being in Toronto. I, I enjoyed the farm. Um, and then here we are, we bought a property where I wanted some land and privacy and water and, you know, new wildlife. And so we're going, we're coming full circle. And I think right now with how we talked about earlier with changes and paradigm shifts and shifts happening and things breaking down and building that we can really have anything that's put on our heart and soul. You know, it's been that desire is there for you to follow it. And I love the thing you said about commitment because yeah, you have to step up and make a commitment, step in and do something. You know, it's even that the timing for this show, we're in the second season and I knew it was time. And the Heart Soul Wisdom was created many years ago, 12 years ago. It was live interviewing people one-to-one with makeup and the whole thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and then when I knew I was going to do this, I asked myself, does Heart Soul Wisdom still speak to my brand and my message? And it did. And then it was time to birth it. And um, and then you you have a commitment. And it's very exciting. And you meet lovely people like yourself and bring you out to my community, which I, I love that collaboration and you know that contribution and working together um, to help each other and you know with the message of hope and inspiration and empowerment totally yeah me too 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking here about your book, you know, what was the process for you writing the book, The Noble Beings, I love the title, Spiritual Handbook for Children in Brackets of All Ages, because we're all childlike if we step into that. What, mm-hmm. what would your advice be for somebody who wants to write a book? And also, you know, you used a crowdfunding, a platform. How, how does someone go about doing that if they have a message they want to get out in the world and do a book like yourself? Yeah, sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah, the world needs more and more, you know, soul projects, you know, what you're called to do in your heart. Well, like, um, well, not exactly like your show, but like many artistic endeavors, it was a long time in the, the birthing process. And most of that, you know, gestation time was in my mind, right? <laughs> it was mm-hmm. years, years that I had this idea in my mind. Um, so it's, I actually, I guess I'm illustrator and editor because I put together a collection of inspiring quotes from the Baha'i writing. So they were all, you know, I selected them. I, I sort of, you know, made the arc of like, what topics am I going to cover and what, what ideas could help what ideas could be comprehensible to a child with the right, you know, explanation and images that would help them throughout their childhood, their adolescence, their teen years, their adulthood, like if they could carry this idea with them, have a happier life, you know, to be more centered in themselves to be more instinctually considerate or generous or whatever, or trusting in the process of life. So that was sort of my, my mindset of, of what I was going to use to put into this book. And then once I selected the 39 short poetic spiritual quotes that I was going to use, then I thought, how would I represent this profound idea in a simple, joyful image that a child could understand and relate to? So those were the building blocks of this book. You know, I had this concept before I knew what the name of the book was or anything, but I knew that I wanted it to be for children and for adults because like you said, we're all children on the spiritual path. And in fact, you know, to return to a place of innocence and trust and joy is really the goal of the spiritual path to return to that place with the wisdom and experience and, and, you know, scar tissue of an adult, you know? So we, we want to be like children in that spiritual realm. And as far as, so once I sat down to like, okay, now's the time. It was of course my, my COVID baby. I, (laughs) I finally, you know, put pedal to the metal during 2020 and decided, okay, I would like it ready by Christmas. So I'm going to, you know, work backwards. And I actually started in the summer. I think it was June, like my commitment to like, I'm going to finish these illustrations. I'm going to find a manufacturer and I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, so there's, if somebody wanted to publish a book, there's 
lots of options. You can do a print on demand through like Amazon or Lulu is good too. Lulu, Blurb, Book mm-hmm. Baby. Mm-hmm. In my, my case, because the aesthetics were so important, I actually did it the old fashioned way where I ordered the physical books in bulk ahead of time. And so I, and again, you could do that with certain companies. I think I, you know, all the ones I mentioned, but they're a little bit more expensive. I actually found a company that's uh, sort of a third party. They're out of California called You Build a Book, which is the letter U, You Build a Book, and they use a printer in Utah. They won't like me saying that, but I think that's important. They're not, they don't actually print in the same place that they sort of process the files, but they do a really great job. I'm super picky. They did a great job. I ordered the books. Um, Meanwhile, I launched an Indiegogo campaign and Indiegogo is like Kickstarter with one major difference that it's basically, if you're committed to delivering whatever you're crowdsourcing for your, your album or your book or whatever, if you're committed to releasing that into the world, no matter what, even if you don't make your goal, Indiegogo will let you do that. Whereas Kickstarter, you have to make your goal before you um, will actually get what people contribute. And so I knew that I was going to do this book, even if I didn't, you know, sell more than 10 copies. Um, So I did Indiegogo and it was very, very successful. I mean, it works the same way and you still work towards a goal. And of course we went past it and all that stuff. Um, And, you know, because I've been doing art and have a, a following and an email list, I was able to market to my list, but also I, I thought ahead of time, like, Everyone that I know, like I literally made a list of like, who are people that might conceivably, you know, order this book. And I reached out to them even before I launched my Kickstarter and just said, hey, I have this project coming. I really think you'll like it. Please be on the lookout, you know, tell your friends. So I built, you know, like a core team of, you know, at least 50 people before I even launched that had some sense of like collaboration and commitment to my project. And I'm sure that that helped a lot. Well, thank you for sharing all that because that'll be great information for people. I know that my books will come out <laughs> after I do the move and everything mm-hmm. either at the end of the year, probably January now. Um, and that's because, well, we'll be unloading on the other side and, <laughs> and then I'll, bring the book up and doing a trilogy. I'm going, um, the, wow. Yeah. Um, so the first one's more or less written. It's just now to just go over it and send it to my publisher. Who's out of Australia. I'm thrilled with her. And, um, so I'm going that route, but, uh, and then doing this whole trilogy of the, the little book of infinite possibilities. So Love that's, it. yeah, that's the, the whole thing with that. You know, I have to tell you, I'm yes. working. I'm working on a G Clay right now. So it's a canvas print, and it's so cool because the original painting sold several years ago, and it's 
it was big at the time for me. And now I just like keep getting bigger and bigger. And it's cool because this one is like massive. It's this huge print and I'm adding some embellishments to it. So I'm actually physically painting onto the canvas print. So it's like, it's, it's a new thing. And I really love this, uh, how one image can sort of multiply. Anyway, it's called realm of infinite possibility. And so I've been like immersed in that. So that's so cool. That's also uh, shares part of the title of your book. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, I created many years ago. I didn't know to go to, with my marketing team to go do a book or a CD audio book. And we went the CD route, both Cliff, he did one and myself. And oh. yeah, and it was eight keys to unlocking infinite passion. We designed the eight keys locked with for the infinity sign. So there was a lot of images um, put in there to talk to the subconscious mind and see, yeah, what people thought. Now you talk about also, you know, remember the big picture and wisdom. And I also talk about that, about having the bigger vision in your life and how the process, the stages in our life, you know, is similar to creating art. Let's talk about your stages, some of your key stages that if you look back, at when like right now to when you were a young girl of let's say 14 15 um, what would be the advice you would give back to your, your younger self now that you've gone through different stages in your life up to today mm. a couple of questions in there Jacqueline yeah, yeah, I really love that the thing that I've learned in retrospect is to get to the heart of the matter. And one thing I mean by that, for example, I was always a big like believer type. You know, I I started out in acting. That was my artistic path and professional path. And I started when I was an adolescent and I did it for 19 years. And yeah, so, you know, only, only like a dreamer who's also willing to put pedal to the metal, like really goes for that. Right. You know, most kids like kind of go through a phase, like I want to be a movie star, but then, you know, it's like, but do you really believe that that's possible or practical or whatever? So like, I, I was always like a believer and I was always willing to work hard. Um, But as I've grown and lived and evolved and things like that, I think like what I would tell my younger self or my children or someone else is to say, well, why do you want to do that? Like, what is it about acting that you're attracted to or you think is a value to the world or brings you joy. And then it's like, sort of answer that. And then, you know, go deeper, like, well, why that? And why, how come? Mm -hmm. And all this stuff, because I think that there are, there are many ways to express your creativity or serve the world or whatever it is. And if you're able to get to the heart of what you really want to do, like say at the heart of what I really wanted to do was to um, create beauty in the world, to touch and enhance other people's lives, to tell stories, to inspire people with spiritual principles, like at the heart of it, these were the things that I wanted to do. And if you can get to the heart of these things, I think 
you a lot more freedom and possibility. And like for you, I I don't know exactly the process with moving, but like sometimes we want to move. We want to change of scene. And it's like, oh, I want to move to Tucson. It's like, okay, well, why do you want to move to Tucson? Well, it's the cost of living. And I like the dry air and I like the mountains. And it's like, okay, well, cool. Let's Tucson's on the list, but let's also explore all these other places that have dry air and mountains and a lower cost of living. You know, it just expands your options when you can really get to the heart of what your desire Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. The the bigger why and taking down like an onion, all the levels, because for us, one part of this for us was, um, and people know that on this um, podcast that I've shared that my husband and soulmate. Um, coming up to 30 years married, we're very much in love. And, um, you know, he went through cancer last year and also had uh, heart surgery. So he went through a lot and it really gets your attention, you know, when it comes home, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to someone that you, that you just deeply love. And we started saying, what matters here? What, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. I've been an entrepreneur for over 30 years. You know, what matters? What's important? You know, at the end of the day, what is it that we want to do? And, you know, we we still hold hands and cuddle and everything. And, you know, the importance of, you know, honoring each other, listening to each other, loving each other. And just yesterday we were out uh, together for an appointment and he came up, he parked the car and came in and this girl behind the desk said, oh, do you know this man? Because he came up close to me. <laughs> And I said, oh. <laughs> and then she's talking about this, you know, the distance with COVID. I said, oh, that's the love of my life. And I gave him a big hug. And then we went to another counter and we're talking to people. And as she walked by, she said, oh, those two are very much in love. And then I recognized her again from the girl coming in. And, and I thought, yeah. And they said, you know, how long have you been together? What's your message? And, you know, it comes down to what we're saying here, heart and love and your soul and what speaks to you and really go out and do it. And not wait for someday, or I don't have time. And maybe some people are very busy, and they don't feel they have time. But I think we all have time if we tell a new story around that, mm-hmm. you know, and invite in that creativity. I want to touch just briefly about um, your type of coaching that you do, mm-hmm. the Enneagram, and how this helps people not only improve their self-awareness, but, you know, productivity, engagement, personal growth, professional growth, just touch on that a little bit because I know it's going to tie into your lovely offer at the end of our heartfelt conversation. Right. So the Enneagram, if people aren't familiar with it, it is this mystical and ancient yet very psychologically sound and sophisticated personality typology system. And what I love about it is that it's also very simple to understand, like once you get the mechanics of it, and it is essentially that um, there are nine basic personality types and none of them are good. None of them are bad. They all have virtues and vices, you know, Mm -hmm. and each type has a known direction of health. So you sort of transcend to the positive qualities of a specific other type when you are spiritually and psychologically healthy, which is very helpful to know, oh, it's healthy for me to move in this direction. And then conversely, there's also a direction of disintegration when you're stressed, when you're not in your highest 
itself, a predictable direction that each type moves towards. So it helps you know your green flags and red flags. It helps you know what you innately bring to the table, right? So it helps you honor your own gifts and and also helps you know your direction of growth. You know, sometimes we lean a little too heavily on our innate virtues, you know, like maybe you're a giver and you're like, well, I'm just going to keep on giving, giving, giving. And that would be awesome if you were like, you know, I don't know, this God or something, but like at some point you'll probably, because you're human, get tired or become resentful or wish somebody would do the same for you. So maybe instead of giving to the point of exhaustion, you recognize I'm a giver. I've got that. That comes naturally to me. What I need to do is give a little bit of that to myself right now. Mm -hmm. And learn how to receive back for sure. Exactly. Learn Mm -hmm. how to let people give to you. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the Enneagram is wonderful for, you know, again, your own sense of empowerment uh, to know your, your gifts, to know your direction of health, to know your red flag. So you can, you can be conscious of these things. And it also helps with dynamics with other people at work with your spouse. So you realize, oh, you know, my colleague is a combative type and they have you know, that's the person that I want on my team when we go to war. Like, I'm so glad that this person is willing to jump into the fire, but I also need to recognize when they speak in a way that feels aggressive to me, you know, I can let them know how this makes me feel, but I don't need to take it as an attack. Mm -hmm. This is just how this person operates, you know, so it just helps you like understand, oh, okay, this is what's going on here. And, you know, I'm still going to honor my boundaries and whatever, but it's not like, you know, it it doesn't escalate into, you know, a disintegrating situation. So I love the Enneagram. And this is something that um, both like acting and spirituality, like all of these things have sort of uh, given me a frame of reference. And I also grew up with the Enneagram. So it's very much like, you know, it's like a three-year-old who learned, you know, how to belly dance when they were, you know, a taught and are like amazing, you know, it's like, it's just something that has been second nature to me. So it's really great to get to coach people and guide them and that sort of thing with the Enneagram. Thank you. I'm just going to segue into that right now that you know, um, if you want to just talk about the offer that you're giving them with a, a session, we might as well do that now because you just talked about it. So I think that's exciting. Sure thing. Yeah. So I do one-on-one sessions with individuals and with couples online. So that's great thing about we've all discovered, right, from COVID, we can do so much interaction online. And it's all on my website. I do sessions from just 15 minutes if you just want to, you know, verbally work out like what you think your type is or, you know, several sessions of 30 minutes, 45 minutes or an hour to either tackle specific challenges going on your 
you're sensing your own blocks or you're having relational challenges in your life. Um, or if you want a longer session to just kind of say, I want to quantum my growth and, you know, based on my type, like what, what do I need to be focused on to be more, more motivated or, you know, more giving or whatever. So yeah, it's just a way to have some one-on-one time and it's super flexible because of all the different session links again, just 15 minutes. If you just want to get the ball rolling and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Okay. And, and that uh, link for the 15% off code will be below in the show notes, along with how you can reach Jacqueline. Jacqueline, I'd like to come to a close of our heartfelt conversation today with you sharing a few quotes of inspiration um, and love and hope from, from your book. Absolutely. So the first one, and I'm pausing to just like, Mm -hmm. let everyone take a breath, right? Let's be receptive. Let your heart burn with loving kindness for all who may cross your path. And there's several things about this quote that I find really delicious. And the first is the word let, let your heart as if this is the natural state and desire of your heart. Basically, don't block it from doing this thing. Let your heart do what it's made to do, which is to burn with loving kindness for all who may cross your path. And that's your spouse in the other room. And that's also that person who cuts you off on the highway, you know, like to cross your path, you know, like sometimes that's not always pleasant. Um, And, you know, you notice a rise of irritation and then remember that it is your heart's natural state. Let your heart's like an unfolding. Let your heart burn with loving kindness for all who may cross your path. Mm. And then one more. And this goes back to what we said earlier in this podcast about listening to your own heart center and how this also empowers you with honesty and truthfulness because you're more in tune with what is true, you know, how you really feel about something. And it's truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues. Virtues, love, kindness, generosity, courage, integrity, And a foundation, right? If truthfulness is the foundation, it is the platform. It is the necessary stabilizing force that we can build these beautiful relationships and this beautiful society and, you know, justice. But we start with a foundation of truthfulness, which starts with us and our own heart and our own spiritual grounding. Hmm. Just taking that in, that's quite beautiful. And as you were 
reading that, I was looking at our beautiful willow tree, which we'll miss, but it's been part of our life here for six years. And as you were speaking, it was dancing and moving. So it was like Mm. an orchestration happening. And I thought, ah, you're hearing what she's saying. Mm. (laughs) Because I talk to her every day. Jacqueline, thank you so much for sharing from your heart and soul, your wisdom on conscious living and spiritual realism. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you for listening to the Heart Soul Wisdom Podcast with Moira Sutton. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please join our community at moirasutton.com and continue the discussion on our Facebook page, Create the Life You Love. You will be part of a global movement connecting with other heart-centered people who are consciously creating the life they love on their own terms. Together, we can raise our consciousness for the greater good of humanity and for our planet.